Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to It's Rainmaking Time. This is Kim Greenhouse. It's an exciting time to be alive. It's also a very nerve-wracking time to be alive. If you're paying attention to solutions and discoveries, it's riveting. It's like the financial marketplace. <laughs> it's hard to know what's coming and what's going. But we know one thing for sure. The master mineral solution, MMS, is one of the most riveting solutions and cures in the world. Chlorine dioxide has been around for years upon years. Jim Humble, who is the founder of the discovery of MMS, is here with his associate Daniel Bender. Let me tell you a brief background about Jim Humble. He's a former aerospace engineer, the founder of the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing, an inventor a mining engineer, an author of five books about new recovery technology and gold. And it was in Prospecting for Gold in Guyana where he discovered MMS while on a mining expedition. Daniel Bender, his associate, is a former TV broadcast engineer for companies such as CNN, who's an independent journalist, a truth seeker, and a person who facilitates projects from around the world. And we're going to talk about what's happening with the development of MMS, why it's good for you, why it is part of a curative nature for diseases like malaria. Ladies and gentlemen, it's rainmaking time. It's honored to welcome Jim Humble and his associate, Daniel Bender. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. First thing I want to say is that I have heard about MMS for years and even in my own openness and receptivity, I have been scared to touch it, to use it, to talk about it, etc. Because I know without even taking it, and I accept the testimonials from around the world, the millions of people who have had malaria disappeared from their body, not only in Africa, but in other parts of the world and other diseases that have been eradicated using it. I know it's nuclear hot to the pharmaceutical cartel, the fake agencies around the world that pretend that they're here to help save and cure people. I know it's hot because even past presidents of the United States of America have banded together to create and bring drugs to the African nations and there's big business in other forms of medication. So I know that it is a serious, delicate matter to talk about it, to promote it, to share about the workability and effectiveness of it, and that both of your lives are on the line about it, particularly you, Jim Humble. As the founder of the Genesis 2 Church of Health and Healing, I'd like you to talk to us about why you were moved to start a church in order to promote health and healing via MMS. Chlorine dioxide. The reason for starting the church was that I had a number of people out there already that were treating people, getting uh, fantastic results, but they needed some protection. And I'd thought for years about churches and that sort of thing. And I realized that throughout the world, wherever churches were and whatever they were doing, like churches were selling various products, wherever the churches were, they were not bothered by the governments and by people who generally bother you. 
And so I started a church, and it worked throughout the world so far, wherever my people have put up a sign saying they're a church and that they uh, are treating people from that way. They have not been bothered by governmental agencies anywhere. There are a number of people who have been selling MMS and who have been attacked by government agencies, but none of those people have used the church as their protection. So church is merely a group of people who want to do the same thing, who are all doing the same thing together. And if they're doing something to help mankind, even so much better. But that's all a church is. It doesn't necessarily have to be religious And we're just a group that's doing things together. We're throughout the world. We have trained ministers of health in more than 85 different countries of the world. And they all treat people for free. We don't treat people anymore. What we do is we restore health. And so there are more than 700 ministers of health restoring health to people for free. And then once a person is well, We ask for donations, but we don't require upfront money. And anybody in the world, anybody can be treated by our particular techniques. So you're in the health restoration mission. That is correct. Approximately 1.2 million people a year die of malaria. That's recorded, correct? That's right. And malaria kills one child every minute in Africa, correct? That's right. Okay. So that's of the recorded stuff. Can you imagine how many are not recorded? Yes, there's many, many that's not recorded, probably twice that many. Let's talk about MMS, the actual what it is on a molecular level. I want you to explain chlorine dioxide. I'm sure you're tired of explaining on every show that you do, but I think every show deserves its own translation of chlorine dioxide. One of the reasons I was scared to take it is I didn't know what it was. Well, chlorine dioxide is a chemical that's being used throughout the world to purify water, preserve vegetables, clean hospital floors and benches, destroy pathogens on surfaces and vegetables and stockyards, any place that you need to kill pathogens, chlorine dioxide has been used. But it's something else, too. It is actually the weakest oxidizer that's used in the body and used a lot of other places throughout the world. It's not a strong oxidizer. It's a very weak oxidizer. Oxygen, which is, of course, an oxidizer, too, that's used in the body, has got a certain oxidation potential. And that oxidation potential is what determines what it oxidizes. Chlorine dioxide is a chemical that has an oxidation potential that's less than oxygen. So it can't oxidize as many things as oxygen can. So if oxygen doesn't do damage in the body, there's no way that chlorine dioxide can do damage in your body because it is a lot less powerful than oxygen. Oxygen has an oxidation potential of 1.28 volts and chlorine dioxide has an oxidation potential of 0.95 volts. So it's way under oxygen. Basically, what destroys the disease in the body is oxidation. And chlorine dioxide, although it is a very weak oxidizer, it has a great capacity to oxidize a lot of things. 
but it can only oxidize a few things that it has the power to oxidize, of course, so it has a very low power. Luckily, the diseases, all the diseases are in a range where chlorine dioxide can destroy them. But when the chlorine dioxide runs through your body, it doesn't have the ability to do damage to your body. That's what uh, most people seem to miss. It can't do any damage in your body. It goes through your body without doing damage to the body at all. But people think they get awfully sick when they take chlorine dioxide because they think that it's damaging the body, but not true. What it's doing is killing diseases and bad things that are in the body and undoing the heavy metals that are in the body. Of course, when you kill a disease, you're going to release a certain amount of poison to the body, and that poison makes you feel bad for a while. And so that is what confuses people about whether it does damage. However, we have developed techniques now for doing it at a low level so that it does not even make you feel bad. So if you do it according to our rules, you just start getting well and you don't feel any worse from it. Well, I think that also one of the things that you said is people may hear the first part of the phrase, which is chlorine instead of chlorine dioxide, and everything changes at a molecular level. So you can have the same first word, chlorine, but chlorine is not chlorine dioxide, but our minds hear chlorine. So we think chlorine in the water is bad for you if you're drinking it. Chlorine in your system, not good. The mind does funny things with that word, but it's all about the molecular structure, isn't it? True, and actually... Table salt is 50% chlorine, but you don't have any chlorine in it. It has a chemical constituent that keeps chlorine from being active. And that's the same way with chlorine dioxide. There's no chlorine available in chlorine dioxide. So the only thing that's available is chlorine dioxide. And when you kill a disease, it actually is destroyed and turns into table salt. So it leaves a couple of grains of table salt in your body. That's all that's left from the chlorine dioxide that kills the disease. You were talking about how sometimes people, when they are using MMS, sometimes they may not feel good while they're in the process of it because they're having this stuff that doesn't belong in their body that's dying off. And your protocol, which has been updated, makes that process more gentle for people. But the reality is that there's probably a lot of stuff between the chemicals that are in the food, that are dumped in the water, that are now dumped into the air 24-7 in every NATO nation in the world. You know, it just goes on and on. And so my question to you is, in your experience, is MMS capable of being a prevention element for us or to keep us healthy and well in the day-to-day Or is it something we primarily will use as a health restoration vehicle only when we're sick? Oh, it would be something that you need to take every day because it destroys all kinds of poisons that you might be getting from the environment and it keeps your immune system in top-notch safe because your immune system can use the chlorine dioxide. And so it goes through your body and destroys any... uh, chemicals that you happen to be breathing in and various other poisons that you may be getting from the environment. I can add something to that because of my frequent travels. I have found that taking a little CDS, which is chlorine dioxide solution, it's basically an extraction of the key ingredient and putting it into water. 
And while traveling, I often will keep a little bit of that in my drinking water. And I find when I do that, I don't get sick. If I compare that to my past, when I didn't do that, uh, it was not unusual to get sick at the end of a trip or during a trip and have a cold, probably picked up from something in a plane. And if I use the chlorine dioxide solution on a daily basis, I don't get sick. I can be exposed to a bunch of sick people. Nothing happens. And I've heard that from a lot of other people. So this is a very common, valuable tool, especially for those who travel a fair amount. You can travel with a three-ounce solution bottle, correct? I've never had a problem. Is it true that there is a relationship between vitamin C and MMS and that you have to be mindful about that relationship. Can you talk about that? You can't use vitamin C and MMS at the same time. Uh, You'll need to separate them out by at least an hour because the vitamin C destroys MMS and vice versa. MMS destroys vitamin C. So you want to separate them out by at least an hour or two hours even better. So basically, for those vitamin C users... The key is, if you're going to take MMS, to separate them at least by a few hours, correct? That's right. Do you take it on a prevention level once a day? I like to take it at a prevention level of once a day. If you're a very young person and very robust and all that, you could probably get by with taking it a couple of times a week. But us older guys, we need to have a dose every day and... That will really keep us in in top-notch shape. It mainly keeps the immune system in top-notch shape. How do you know that with respect to the immune system? People who are taking it are doing really well. I mean, thousands of people are taking it, and those that are taking it do really well. And their uh, colds, if they get them, only last a day or so instead of two or three weeks. So normally you can expect that. And chemically speaking... If you use MMS in a Petri dish, you get a different result than if you use it in the body because the body can take MMS and route it to where the pathogens are. But when you just put it in a Petri dish, that doesn't happen. So obviously the body is uh, doing something with the MMS and obviously it's immune system. We know that the body is intelligent, extremely intelligent. So that's what you're describing, right? That's right. Talk a little bit about when you discovered the use of chlorine dioxide. When I first discovered it in the jungle, I give it to some of my men who had malaria. I brought it from America as a water purifier, and so I give it to them, and it cured them in four hours. It was amazing. We were all all amazed. So I started using it and working with it. And I went through the jungle giving it to people, and sometimes it didn't work. So I tried to uh, find out why it didn't work sometimes and why it worked other times. And so I spent some time studying it, and I come back to the United States, and I read about it because by that time, uh, 15 years ago, I'd been using health food stores like for 75 years. I wondered why it was that it worked sometimes and others, and I read some data about some colleges that had actually tested it, and everybody was saying that it provided oxygen to the body, and the oxygen was what was doing the good works. But I got to studying it a little bit further and working with it, and I found out it really wasn't oxygen at all. It was chlorine dioxide that was doing the job. 
I made some friends in Africa and I sent some over to Africa and paid them a little money and they, they started giving it to people with malaria over there and they started curing people with malaria in the country of Tanzania and so it just worked along those lines and then finally I went over to some missionaries and worked with the missionaries for a while and we cured thousands of malaria cases in the various different churches and places that was available to the missionaries. With respect to what you were describing about some of the men on your team were cured and some weren't, and then you came back to the U.S. and you did this major research, what did you find out about that? Was it volume or the amount they took or what? Well, in that case, it was the condition of their stomach. (laughs) It depended upon how much acid was in their stomach at the time. If they had a proper amount of acid in their stomach, it would cure them. And if they didn't have the proper amount of acid in their stomach, it wouldn't cure them. And so I got to working with it, and I finally realized that I needed to add the acid to it before it went to the stomach. And when I finally realized and started adding acid to it, then it was getting 100% of the people with malaria cured. Right, because everybody's stomach acid is in a different state. So, for example, I had indigestion for like a year. It didn't matter what I had, and even when I fasted and then I ate a little bit again, it was a problem. Well, I found out I had all these tests, this and that. I flew to Washington. I didn't have any salt in my system. I started taking real salt, Himalayan crystal salts, I took a quarter teaspoon a day. It was done. I never had it again. No problem. And if you don't have salt in your system, you can't make hydrochloric acid. Who knew? So I think that's great. So in MMS, in the chlorine dioxide, you added hydrochloric acid. What did you add? We used vinegar at first, and and that worked fine. Um, In Africa, I lined the people up in rows and I had cups lined up in rows and I'd put a little bit of vinegar in them and I'd put a little bit of MMS in the cup and we'd wait a few minutes for them to react. Then I'd give it to each person and drink it down and it, it worked every time as long as we added the vinegar to it. Later on, we found that that was good, but we could also use lemon. Of course, lemon is acid and so we use lemon in, in Africa as well because there was always plenty of lemons available. In fact, lemons were more available than vinegar was. And in Africa, you could only get imitation vinegar, but imitation vinegar still has the acid, so it worked pretty well too. And then we started using citric acid, and then we started using hydrochloric acid, because hydrochloric acid is a more true acid. It's more pure, and it can be... uh, more easily used. So you get a more pure product by using hydrochloric acid than generally speaking, we use a a 4% or 5% solution of hydrochloric acid. Fantastic. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The declaration of a national and international water crisis is a declaration about water that comes directly from snowmelt and rainfall. It has nothing to do with the water that exists below your feet, underground, into faulted structures all over the world. I want you to know that there is an unlimited supply of available fresh water everywhere on Earth, including the deserts. 
For over 100 years, teams of people have been locating water for private people. And the reason you haven't heard of it is that it is not part of the mainstream orthodoxy of geology that's taught at universities. When you think about people and animals in developing nations having to walk miles to bring back a bucket of water, I want you to know that that is an unacceptable atrocity. Nobody should have to go through that. I've made a commitment to make water available to sophisticated investors and to people in need across the world and to make commercial applications available for water in the United States and abroad. There's only a water crisis as it relates to snowmelt and rainfall, not having to do with the third source of water, which is below our feet. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a sophisticated investor or a farmer that would be interested in having your own water supply that is independent of the aquifers, feel free to call. It's rainmaking time. The good news is that there's plenty of water everywhere for anybody and any animal on planet Earth that needs it. Thank you very much. And back to the show. I wanted to go through some of the biology chemistry of this first and kind of acquaint the public with the groundedness of what you've put together, what you've discovered, and what's been synthesized. Talk a little bit about the distinction between chlorine dioxide and this other thing that you have. It's called MMS2. Well, MMS2 is calcium hypochloride. It's used to purify the water in the swimming pools. It's used all over the world to purify water. And basically, when you put calcium hypochlorite into water, it turns into hypochlorous acid. <laughs> now, hypochlorous acid is the acid that your body uses to kill diseases. And the body has been using hypochlorous acid for thousands or hundreds of thousands of years. It's the one chemical that the body can make that no disease has ever adjusted itself to it. Any kind of bad things found in the body, including cancer and cells that have gone bad for different reasons, and it has the ability to do the same thing as MMS, but in a slightly different way. But it also oxidizes the diseases. So it does a basically the same thing, but it increases what MMS is doing. Of course, there are people who say that the body also actually creates some MMS on its own. Some scientists say that, some scientists say it don't. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> as long as you have it, you can use it. In any case... The two of them work together especially well, and hypochlorous acid goes into the tissues of the body, is protected from being destroyed by the chemical makeup, but when it approaches a pathogen, it releases a single electron. The electron runs over and hits the pathogen, knocks a couple electrons loose. Those electrons come back over and hit the hypochlorous acid, completely destroying it, but releasing a whole bunch of electrons, which goes back over and completely destroys the pathogen. So there's an exchange that finally destroys both of them, and there's nothing left. Interesting. How did you find out about this part of your discoveries? 
When you found out about this, were you excited? I was really excited. But what happened was the uh, neighbor next door to me, I lived out in the desert, the neighbor next door to me said, my friend down in Mexico just took some bleach and it cured his Montezuma revenge. revenge. (laughs) So he said, we ought to try it and see how it works. Well, I didn't know any better. I said, well, let's take some. So we went and bought some from the store, but we bought calcium hypochlorite instead of sodium hypochlorite. And watch his friend in Mexico took the sodium hypochlorite, but we tried the calcium hypochlorite, which is, I hate to tell you this, but it's pool chalk. They claim that it's chlorine, but it ain't. There's no chlorine available in calcium hypochlorite. Now, they say there is, and it's when you buy the bottle or the carton, it says 65 or 75% chlorine available. But it's not true. There's no free chlorine. It says free chlorine, but there is no free chlorine in there. So they're putting something on the side in order to sell it. They're saying it's chlorine, but there's no chlorine in there. When you put it in your pool, it turns into hypochlorous acid. And the hypochlorous acid is what purifies your pool and kills the pathogens and purifies the water and and destroys a lot of the dirt and stuff that's in the pool. So it's a matter of knowing the chemistry of it all. But I was pretty excited when we took the stuff and it didn't kill us. We both took it for a week. And then we said, well, there's a guy in town who has prostate cancer. Let's see if he'll try it. So you tried sodium chloride or calcium hypochloride? I'm confused. Calcium hypochloride. That's what pool shock is, calcium hypochloride. And so that's what we were trying. And we took it for a week, didn't make us feel bad, didn't do anything. But we thought, well, maybe it would help somebody that had something bad in their body. So we went over to a guy who had prostate cancer and we asked him if he'd be willing to try it. (laughs) And believe it or not, he said, yeah, I'll try it. What the hell? There isn't anything that's helping me anyway. And so he tried it. And he took it for a couple of weeks. We were putting it in the capsules that you buy. He took several capsules in the morning, several capsules in the evening for about three weeks. And then he went to the doctor to find out if anything was happening. And the doctor couldn't find any cancer in his body at all. Then I had some friends around the country, and I sent out some letters saying, hey, anybody want to try this stuff? And I got a number of people to try it. Just people who happened to have that particular type of cancer, a whole bunch of them were being cured. They were okay. They were sending us letters back saying they were doing okay. Were they taking the calcium hypochloride with your standard chlorine dioxide MMS? No, they were just doing that calcium hypochlorite. That's all. Got it. And I was sending them 50 capsules in an envelope. At that time, I was even sending them 50 capsules in an envelope into Canada, and it was going right across the border. Now, you can't do that. But back then, it went across the border with no problem. People were actually getting cured with it. Very exciting. Talk to the audience a little bit about what you've been through in the last five years. Just your experience of the sensitivity and the care you have to apply in going from country to country. In other words, obviously, you've had to bring this discovery in. You're showing people how to make it. 
so that they're sovereign in their ability to take care of themselves and they're not dependent on any one company. You don't personally or professionally sell MMS, and yet you have concerns about travels, correct? Yeah, I, of course, wrote a couple of books, and the last book I wrote, well, both books, I give everything I knew in the the book, how to make it and how to use it and the protocols that I had learned that worked and on and on. So, And then I explained to people what to do and in order to make sure that you had a product that was acceptable and there are ways to weigh it and ways to look at it and the colors that it turns in order to determine that it's actually an acceptable product. If it don't turn the right color, you don't want to use it. And if it don't weigh exactly the right amount, then you've done something wrong. You haven't made it right. So then I uh, have people tell me how much it weighs. I don't tell them how much it's supposed to weigh. I have them tell me how much it weighs so I'll know if they're actually doing it right. So basically, there are ways to determine if it's being done right in a certain protocols that have to be followed that make it really work. And I learned the first really good protocol when I was in Malawi, and people come to me who had HIV, and I was having them take the MMS every hour for eight hours a day. Three weeks, I was having them all do it. And at the end of three weeks, uh, they were all really in good shape. And well, we consider them to be well. You can't prove that they're well because of the antibodies that they claim are there because of the HIV. But in any case, they were all good. Their blood counts were back to normal. The HIV was gone out of their blood. They were in good shape. And there was 800 of them that I did over a period of eight months. You know, when you were talking a few minutes ago about how people would call you to determine that they made the MMS properly and that you would run them through a couple of questions, if it was the right color, if it was the right weight, but you wouldn't necessarily tell them the weight. I totally understand and respect the thinking of why you're not giving what the weight is and all that, but if Jim Humble passes away someday, when Jim Humble passes on, what happens? I'm the archbishop of a church now, and I have other archbishops in a church and bishops in a church and hundreds and hundreds of people who know how to make it, know all the rules and regulations and all the stuff that go with it. So when Jim Humble passes away, it isn't going to matter a lot. Well, it'll <laughs> matter to me. So stay around. Please stay around. Don't go anywhere. Okay. You have no invitation to leave the earth. Um, I want to say something controversial to you, but not to be controversial, but I'm going to plant this seed. Because there's such fraud in the medical field, I want to say to you that whatever MMS has done to restore health and wellness to people diagnosed with HIV, bravo, and Mm -hmm. any other disease that we call whatever are the symptomology for those diseases. However... Back on May 29, 2012, I interviewed somebody who is considered nuclear in the area of examining and reexamining AIDS. And basically, HIV has never been properly isolated in the laboratories. That's all I'm going to say for those people that want to hear that interview with Joan Shenton and the massive amount of work done on the fraud 
of AIDS, the fraud of the diagnosis, the test, the whole bit. It's called reexamining AIDS. I don't doubt for one instant that you restored these people's health who were diagnosed with that symptomology. Do you understand me? I'm not questioning. Well, that let you me had tell. Let me, let me tell you about that sure. because I know what you're going to say. There is no paper anywhere in this world with a doctor's signature or a scientist's signature on it which says he has located HIV pathogen. There is no paper anywhere in the world that says somebody has located an AIDS virus. Yeah. Nobody has located either one of those. Nobody has ever seen an AIDS virus. Nobody has ever seen an HIV virus. What happened was the CDC in Atlanta, there are 40 different immunodeficiency diseases that if you have any one of those diseases, a doctor declares you to have HIV. Now, if you have HIV in your blood count, CD4, white blood count, is above 400, they can't do anything for you. They just say, well, you got this and and there's nothing we can do for you. Well, come back to us when your blood count drops below 400 and then we'll let you take the ARV, the pharmaceutical thing, and that's what kills you. That drives your blood count down to, in the United States, to 200. Only thing it says you have AIDS is because your blood count has dipped below 200. In other words, CD4, white blood count, has dipped below 200. Then they say you have AIDS, and then they really give you the poisonous stuff. And that real poisonous stuff eventually kills you. You're not being killed by disease. You're being killed by the ARVs that they give to you. Exactly. But the reason I mentioned what I mentioned is I wanted to be out in front with you and Daniel that I find the whole thing with AIDS and what has been done and the pharmacology that has been pumped and the diagnostic tests that have been pumped and the just a lot of the stuff that's been pumped through media to be not true science. That's, that's what I'm saying to you. And obviously you're revealing that too. And I wanted to make that distinct from saying I affirm that everybody you've worked with that has used MMS, that they are being restored to health. I get that. And I accept that. But the birth of the derivatives industry with respect to the insurance industry, the formation of death bonds started and came about at the beginning of AIDS or whatever this thing is, this symptomology called AIDS and HIV. I don't know if you know what a death bond is, but basically the insurance industry created a niche and said, look, they went to all these people that were diagnosed with AIDS, right, and said, if we write this policy for you, you can take 60% or 40% of what you would earn in your lifetime. We'll give you that and we'll write a policy for you because they knew in actuarial accounts they would be dead within a certain number of years, right? So they would take 60 or 70% of the policy. So the creation, the formation of death bonds, and I'm very vocal about this because I find it disgusting, came at the formation, at the public awareness of this thing called AIDS. I find it interesting that this industrial complex insurance and derivatives finance 
formed during this time. And not only that, the creation, the formation of the sickest drug that they give to these people who supposedly have this thing called AIDS. So this is the politics, the political dark underbelly of a lot of this stuff. This is what you, as an archbishop, and the people that are taking MMS and MMS2 to restore health are dealing with, too, this whole dark underbelly. And speaking of the dark underbelly, I want to talk about with you the Ugandan work that has been done with MMS and the Red Cross. Now, I have to preface what I'm going to say to you before I invite you in to talk about this by saying that the Red Cross saved my life as somebody that was just born. I was an RH negative baby. My mother was RH positive, and they saved my life. So I was called, by the way, Mr. Miracle, I was called the Miracle Baby when I was born. So I feel I have the right to talk to you. <laughs> so first I want to say shout out to the Red Cross. Thank you for saving my life. And now I'm going to say to the Red Cross, I'm very angry with you because what you started out as, Red Cross, you are not anymore. And even though there's wonderful people working for the Red Cross, the actual policy decisions that are being made by the Red Cross with respect to MMS are improper and negligent and a contributing factor to the death of millions upon millions upon millions of people because you are hiding a basic truth and evidence for MMS curing people in Uganda. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to Jim Humble and Daniel Bender now tell you the story of what happened in their work in Uganda. I got to say one thing about the Red Cross, Benz, that you already said one thing about the Red Cross. You remember the situation in Haiti, I'm sure. Yes. Where they had a tremendous earthquake there and and, uh, An outbreak then, of cholera, right? Big yeah, outbreak of cholera. And, and then the Red Cross went in, they claimed. And on CNN, the Red Cross says, we have plenty of money from throughout the world. We don't need any more money in a Red Cross, and everything is under control there. They said that on CNN. Well, it just happened to be that I was down there in the next country over, which Dominican was... Dominican Republic. That's right. I sent my students over and I said, well, the, the Red Cross is evidently doing a really good job over there. So you go over to their office and you go in and, and offer to help them and tell them that you can handle the people with cholera. And so my students went over there and they come back and said, the Red Cross office is closed. There's a board across the door and it's nailed shut. And there was no Red Cross in there helping anybody. And 5,000 people died of cholera, and nobody helped them at all. And there was no food. They had almost no water. The water that they had, of course, was killing them. The uh, Dominican Republic closed off the border and the minute cholera started and wouldn't allow anybody to get through. There was 80 trucks that tried to get across the border and bring supplies to those people, but they wouldn't allow those trucks. They turned them back. All of the ports were closed by American warships, so no supplies were getting to those people at all. And there was an airport that was only 30 miles from the border that they could have had an airlift really easy there. Red Cross claimed they had plenty of money, so they could have had an airlifter for those people if they didn't want to have the open border. But they had nothing. 5,000 just died of cholera. There were other thousands more that starved. So it was not a great thing. 
Well, it was like the equivalent of the way that New Orleans was handled. Yes, yes. Pretty much the equivalent. But worse, probably. Yeah, pretty much. The similar circumstances and everything went on. Anyway, I had a seminar in Mexico. Klaus, a postman, came to the seminar. And he said that he didn't think that MMS worked, but he come to check it out and to be sure that it didn't work. He wanted to prove it one way or the other. And so he went through the whole seminar. I explained it all to him. He learned the data. But when he left, he said, I still don't think it works. But he says, I'm willing to do a test. He said, the International Red Cross is behind me and the Uganda Red Cross He said, I am the head of the water reference board for the Red Cross. And so there's three organizations that want to do a test in Uganda with malaria to see if it works. And he said, uh, this will be happening soon. And so on the 12th of December, the International Red Cross, the Uganda Red Cross, and Klaus was the head of the whole thing. And he was the one who was actually financing the operation. Now, he used to be part of the Belgian Special Forces team, also worked for Virgin Atlantic. And what else was his background? Special Forces mainly, and he was particularly uh, proud of his Special Forces connections, but I don't know anything else about his background, really. But they did the test for four days, basically. And the first day, they had 30 or 40 people come in, and everybody was tested on a preliminary test that would show up malaria if it was there. And then if the malaria did show up, then they were routed to the area that had a microscope and all of the blood testing facilities needed to count the malaria parasites. And everything that is supposed to be done to prove malaria was done properly with a doctor and microscope technician that was that was certified, and the whole works was done properly. Then the next day, there was more people, and the next day, more people. And finally, over the four days, 781 people were tested, and of that 781, 154 had malaria. And of those 154 malaria cases, all 154 were finally free of malaria without any problems, concern. And it was quite easy. And everybody was happy that it was done and they were dancing and everything else. And it turned out to be quite a operation. But they said, well, we don't want to announce this until we prove that chlorine dioxide is safe. Well, of course, chlorine dioxide had been being taken by the people in the United States for 80 years by that time from health food stores in different amounts. And, of course, chlorine dioxide had been tested in hundreds of different tests throughout the world, but they decided that it had to be tested before they could release the information to the world at all. And so they kept saying, well, we got to test it. We got to make sure it's okay. We got to... And so we agreed to keep it secret for them. Personally, I kept thinking as soon as they get it tested, they'll go out and start curing people. I figured they'd be treating people by the thousands in a couple of weeks. But they kept saying, no, we can't do it. We can't release information until we're sure. We got to be sure. We got to be sure. 
And five months went by. Can you believe five months went by and they were still saying, oh, no, we can't release the information. We can't sell anybody. We got to keep it secret. And I finally said, they ain't going to release the information. So I told my guys to go ahead and release the information. And then we found that Klaus had three different groups making videos of the whole thing. One of the videos was very, very well done with Klaus talking about how it was done and, and the whole work so that... I so saw that, that video. Everybody has to tune into that video. Is that <laughs> at jimhumble.org? The link is in many, many places, so... That well, is a really formidable but, video. I mean, all of them are, but I mean, it's right there. So the bottom line is the underworld. Basically, this is the underworld. Who's funding the Red Cross? Yeah. That's the answer. Who funds yeah, or, the Red Cross is determining the policy. So that's how it is. That's Follow what the, the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's probably way more devious than that. But the reality is that's why it's not being allowed to become public knowledge. Exactly. Well, and one of the amazing things about all of this is the fact that the Red Cross, as well as Klaus Prosman's own organization, the Water Reference Center, they all came out with statements dissociating themselves from their own test and basically also included a statement that they did no clinical trials, that no clinical trials were performed, yet on the video they called it a field test. So clinical trial, field test, call it what you may, that was clearly a test and it showed that it worked 100% of the time. And they, in their own words, and we're talking about several Red Cross officials as well as Klaus Prosman, making the statements of how amazed they were at the results of the test. So it is very odd that they would come out and then make such a statement. I could see them saying, hey, wait, we're not ready to release the results, but okay, now that they're out, yes, we did this, it looks interesting, but we want to do further testing. You know, if they'd come across like that, then I think we could all say, okay, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to make absolutely sure that there are no side effects, which, by the way, they made the statement on the video that there were no side effects and certainly Jim and people that Jim has worked with as well as doctors I have personally interviewed and spoken to over the years these are Western doctors that have worked in Africa have used MMS extensively in Africa and have successfully treated thousands of malaria cases as well as AIDS cases who have said that this stuff works very well is very good that is where the whole situation gets so peculiar. I what? should point out there were two videos. There was one video that Leo Kohoff put out. He was the guy who actually trained the people on site. It also produced a video. It was an okay video. It didn't show every little detail, but it was okay, and it came out. And after that video is when they put out a notice that I just mentioned. Subsequently is when the second video that you're referring to a moment ago or referred to a moment ago came out and there has been no statement whatsoever, complete silence since that time. So it is very odd. I think that the reason why the Red Cross did the testing was because the people with the money wanted them to do it because they wanted to prove me wrong. They were so certain that I was wrong. They were so certain that MMS doesn't work that they wanted to prove to the world that it doesn't work. They were going to do the world a favor, but they were going to do the people with the money a favor. The people with the money have been approached many times to do something with MMS, and they wanted to prove to the world that MMS don't work. In my opinion, that's the only reason that the Red Cross went ahead with it is because they believed that it didn't work.
even if they believed it didn't work, if you're really in the business of rescue and helping people that are in need, your receptivity quotient should be higher than most people on earth, right? Yeah. And your deep interest and love to take care of people that are in need would be primary, the prima fascia, the most primary thing. So if that were true about the Red Cross, the investigative impetus would be that of deep concern and wanting to help. And therefore, the receptivity would be very different unless they are being moved and funded and policy driven by agents of something very dark. So, for example, I'm looking right now on Google and I wrote in who owns the malaria drug. Here's what comes up. FDA strengthens warnings on malaria drug on NBCNews.com. The Food and Drug Administration strengthened warnings about a pill used to both prevent and treat malaria on Monday. FDA strengthens warning on larium, an anti-malaria drug. Malaria drug, black labeled by FDA over side effects. Panday benefits from the dangerous side effects profile. M-E-N-A-F-N like Nancy.com. Times of Zambia. We should do our own research on malaria. And it goes on about mefloquine. I've had people go to Africa and they're taking these drugs and they say they not only were so sick from anti-malaria drugs, they were hallucinating. And this is only one part of the special interest. If, in fact, MMS has broad-spectrum restorative effects on the body, it's even more serious to the competitors who are in the business of pumping their drugs to people. Bush and Clinton made a joint venture to bring AIDS drugs to Africa and developing nations. So that's how high up it goes. I'm not blaming them. I'm just saying it's a fact. They were very upfront about it, very public about their joint venture to bring people that have AIDS this drug. It's very complicated, but it's very simple. Yeah, but that that drug is what's killing people in Africa. I understand Africa. that. The city where I was working, it was just a small city, uh, one name a city. There were people dropping dead every day from AIDS. When they didn't have the ARVs, they weren't all dropping dead. You start giving them the ARVs, that's when they started dropping dead. What does ARV mean? Antiretroviral. I, I should point out, if you have MMS and you're traveling in a country that has malaria... That's all you need. You don't need to do preemptive malaria treatment. If you get it, you take your drops, and in a few hours, you're fine. And I can point out that one of the doctors that I spoke to, and this was a European doctor, so we're talking about a Western-trained doctor who has gone to Africa many times to treat patients there. If I'm not mistaken, he ended up telling me how he had gotten malaria about 17 times. I guess he wasn't taking it as a preventative. But every time he got it, he took his MMS and he was done with it. On he went. And so it's not a big deal if you have the right tool and you use it. Is part of what you said, meaning when you're going to a developing nation that has a strong propensity for malaria to be there, take it only when you get it? No, I think you could also take it like if you take CDS, like what I do when I travel. And I have it in my drinking water, and at all times, I'm protected. If you, if you were taking six drops a day, I guarantee that you would not get malaria. I took six drops a day, and I did not get malaria. And I had malaria three times before that. You can use MMS to prevent malaria, or you can use MMS to overcome malaria the minute you get it. So either way, I prefer to take it 
to prevent it as opposed to get it because when you get it, there's a few hours of misery while you're getting over it. I want to talk to you about the symptomology of malaria, if you don't mind. Can you talk about that? Sure. The first thing I usually get is indigestion. You notice that your meal doesn't digest very good. And then the next morning, you wake up and you have a bad headache. And then as the day progresses, you start throwing up and you start getting the shakes and you start getting the fever. Then you start to notice and that you have the worst headache that you've ever heard of. You're having it. It's far beyond normal, terrible headaches that you get. And then finally, you start getting pains in your legs and pains in your joints and your whole body is aching and you're throwing up. Just about ain't anything that's any worse. And the worst death there is is malaria death because that's the way it goes. Don't you dehydrate quickly? That too. <laughs> so, but I wanted to mention about Bill Gates and that I, I actually sent Bill Gates five letters. And then one day my partner and I got Bill Gates on the phone by calling his organization I just happened to be there at the time, and the guy who answered the phone evidently just handed Bill Gates the phone. But anyhow, don't you love that kind of an assistant? <laughs> right. God, that's just incredible. So Bill Gates was talking to my partner because uh, he was the one that was calling, and I was standing right there. But we told him that we had the answer to malaria and that we'd been healing malaria for some time. And he said, well, he would be glad to help us as soon as we got approval by the FDA. <laughs> uh, you got to understand, he's busy funding geoengineering, dumping barium and aluminum in our atmosphere. He's busy in genetically modified seeds and being an investor in Monsanto. He's busy in depopulation. He's got things to do. And he's extremely busy making sure that he has uh, the control over the methods and remedies in developing nations for health and wellness. End point. That's pretty much it. I got five letters back from his people and they all said, well, they were happy that I was out helping the people like I was, but uh, they were spending the money on malaria research and they, they oh, didn't have course, any money. Of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> research to find the answers that we are already putting on a golden platter. I he, right. has, he has zero interest in that. Yeah. Zero. Right. Zero. I've had enough of him. I can't even listen to him anymore because he is not where the action is. He is where the underworld is, unfortunately. People think because he created Microsoft that he's all good. He is not all good, and what he's doing is not good. We have to stop thinking of these people as lords. They don't know better than us just because they formed a company that became a global resource. These people still have to be checked at the door with everything they say and do. And his actions speak volumes about what he's really about. I don't care what propaganda they write about him. And what he said. I mean, he actually talked about getting rid of a large part of the population on the planet. So That was in a video on a TED Talk or some, something like that. I remember hearing I saw that, that video. Yeah. I actually saw that video. It yeah. was the end of my interest in Mr. Gates. In his recent investments in Monsanto and genetic engineering and vaccinations... The whole thing is sickening. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. It's funny how sometimes you don't take action until people have died. I remember visiting my mother in an Alzheimer's facility in Studio City 
And my cousins, Carol and Dan, were there. And I had this little tape recorder with me my dad had passed on five years before. And I started to interview my cousins, Carol and Dan, about my parents because they were very close to them and they knew them for many years even before they were married. I want you to know that I got the funniest, most adorable stories about my mom and dad that I would have never heard otherwise. I kid you not. I found out that my dad, Buddy Greenhouse, used to invite people to massive parties, bring everybody together, and then they'd all get to the party and they go, where's Buddy? And he was not there. In other words, he would just put the whole thing together, get everybody to come, and sometimes he would not show up. Now, you may not think that's funny. You may think that's rude and all that, but I thought that was hysterical when I first heard about it. It's just not something that I would think that my dad was capable of, but apparently he was. Many of you listening to the show are going to wait until your parents and your sisters and brothers and cousins pass on before you ever capture the wonderful stories and legacy of your family. I'm making a very special service available to those of you that would like me to interview your family and capture the wonderful stories that are the gift of your family legacy. It's a really special service. It's very confidential and private and can be done in either audio or video. Don't miss the occasion to capture the living legacy of your family and the great treasures that are sitting there. I'm a miner. I know how to get to those treasures. Call me at its rainmaking time at 626-398-8652. Thank you. And back to the show. I think we should talk a little bit about doctors, for example, especially Western doctors and the, and the situation that they face. Because we do have Western doctors, like I mentioned earlier, that embrace MMS quietly, or they can say it loudly if they're outside of the country. And really what they're afraid of is losing their license. They can get threatened, they can lose their license. It's really a problem when doctors can't be doctors because let's face it, what were doctors in the past? They had to go ahead and use their intelligence trying to figure out what is a person's problem and also what is the best solution. And that part is really now being castrated from the purpose that they were originally meant to serve. On the money side, I can understand it. You know, here we have a substance that one is too cheap, two, it can't be patented, although ironically, the substance is in various patents for dental purposes and, and cleaning purposes and various applications. So it's not like it's only applied to outside of the body. There are, are uses for it, especially in the dentistry area. It obviously interferes with the profits of the pharmaceutical industry, and so they're not going to embrace this, considering the situation. In fact, the FDA came out with a statement once Jim became a force to reckon with that basically said that MMS is dangerous, don't use it, throw it away, and I assume send it back or whatever, you know, get your money back, I suppose. I know that one of the guys' businesses was raided who sells MMS. What do people do? I mean, how do we get it? Eventually, we're going to have to all learn how to make it. So far, they've never done anything to churches that sell it. For a long time to come, I don't think they're going to attack churches that sell it. And that's the reason why we, well, main reason why we become a church. But we don't really sell it as MMS. We sell it as a water purifier and as a, a sacrament for the church. They're not going to be able to figure a way to prevent it from being sold as a water purifier. I don't think they'll do that because it's been used as a water purifier for a 100 years. The fact that you can buy the stuff in drops, I, I just don't think they'll be able to figure out a way of stopping that. And, of course, 
attacking a church, it's a no-no. Now, they might start attacking churches, but up to this point in time, no church has ever been attacked nowhere in the world for selling products, no matter what their products are. So can I buy MMS from your church? Not right now, because we don't sell it. (laughs) The church itself is not selling it. There are people out there who sell it, and they sell it as water purification drops, and it works well for that. The issue for the show purposes is people who are listening to the show are going to want to stock up on this MMS. So do I send them to jimhumble.org? You can Google for sodium chloride, and you will find plenty of suppliers throughout the country and the world. But how do we Um, know they're approved by Jim? His website has a list of approved suppliers. Which website? Well, you can go to my website, jimhumble.com. Dot com. Dot org. Dot com. Very good. Let's talk a little bit about Carrie Rivera's new book about MMS and great success with autism. That is something I have actually been very heavily involved with. Of course, Jim was very heavily involved with it in the sense that uh, Carrie found out about Jim uh, from someone that had said, hey, check these uh, cute little green and blue bottles out. Uh, And um, so what has been going on there, and um, certainly Jim is welcome to jump in here, but I'll give my little version. I I was heavily involved with uh, the book that just recently came out. I helped her on that. And um, what the 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 nut uh, the the basics of it, and let me see if I can say this better. I'll chop the chop my babble out of here. What uh, what Carrie Rivera and uh, several others discovered was that autism has a problem where parasites are a huge element of the autism uh, picture. And um, MMS in particular is very effective at killing parasites in the gut. And uh, what they have found is that when uh, kids with autism uh, take MMS as well as other things, they're on diets and, uh, and restrictive diets that keep certain um, parasite feeding foods out of the diet, uh, they find that uh, these children have bowel movements with worms and many, many worms coming out. So Sounds disgusting. It is, and that's also probably one reason why it's not jumped on by everyone because people often don't want to talk about what's going on in the bathroom. And so the parents that are willing to go ahead and take that on are the ones that are discovering the positive effects of using MMS to clear out the gut of their sick children, and they're having tremendous results. As of today, the number, I believe, is 97 recoveries. Kids that were diagnosed with autism are now back to normal. And I should define a little bit how they're determining this. There is what's known as an ATEC test. And this is a test that the parents take where they answer a whole series of questions. And the answers that are given are weighed and added up. There's a scoring of that. And the scoring can be anywhere from zero to 180, 180 being the worst, zero being absolutely no signs of autism. And a recovered child is defined to be a child anywhere between zero and 10, or basically anything 10 and under. Of those 97 children, they are all 10 and under and are leading normal lives with friends, going to normal schools, and really are doing quite well. 
the numbers are continuing to add up of these recovered children. In fact, even if they have not reached that magical 10 mark, if a child has, let's say, 140 and they're down to 90, they're already significantly better than if they were at that 140 level. And so all the kids, great majority, I'll say, that are being treated with MMS and these other aspects of the protocol are having positive experiences. And the word is getting around on that very situation. Pretty impressive. Very much so. I know Carrie has spent great deals of time with Jim Humble, and uh, I'm sure Jim would be happy to share some of his own thoughts on this. I'm just proud of what she's been doing. She's a fantastic lady, and she actually has several thousand kids on MMS in her whole protocol, and she helps them all. They all email her from time to time, and she answers them, or they call her on the phone or one thing or another. So she's doing a pretty fantastic job with kids around the country and South America and the U.S. as well. So it's it's coming pretty well. What's the name of her book? Healing the Symptoms Known as Autism. Uh, oh, can, I like that. Yes, yes, yes. And you can type her in her name in Amazon. It's K-E-R-R-I and Rivera. River with an A at the end. Fantastico. Very excited about that. She spoke at Autism One, the large conference in Chicago that occurs each year. She was there for the last two years. I had a chance to attend the most recent one when her book was debuted. Now, it's interesting to note, last year... When she spoke there, it got into the news media, and they were ferociously attacking her for this protocol. This year, it was completely quiet. There was no noise from the detractors, at least none that hit the mainstream news media. I guess they're having a hard time going against all the recoveries that keep popping up, and uh, in fact, had a chance to interview 10 moms and dads who have used the protocol with success. They were not all full recoveries but they all had seen positive results. And those testimonials are available online. And these are all real people telling real stories of what they had experienced. These are not fake stories or anything like that, which also brings me to a point with Jim Humble and the detractors that uh, so often make statements on the internet saying, oh, Jim's getting rich on MMS. Well, as we mentioned a moment ago, he wasn't selling MMS. He's only getting monies from the books that he sells and some money from some of the conferences. I want to address that kind of thinking in general. Even if he was selling it, it doesn't mean it doesn't produce the results it produces. If anyone deserves to actually be making money, it's Jim. As a witness to seeing his literally humble abode, it is not any kind of Taj Mahal. He does not drive some fancy car. In fact, I think he has a bicycle downstairs. Usually he's on foot. So this is not a man that is leading a lavish lifestyle in contrast to what some of these detractors are making statements out there. And this is where, you know, I had wanted to go and check into what is the truth about all of this. And when I'd heard the first interview that had gone somewhat viral, there was something about Jim and his story that rang true to me. And that's what inspired me to check into it further to the point where I now know Jim and Andreas and some of the other people, and Carrie as well, of course, and can say these are real people with real concerns for humanity and are making a real difference with the people who are having these struggles with illness. What these detractors are saying is absolutely asinine and ridiculous. It's actually irrelevant because why everybody else can make billions of dollars and have solutions for things There's nothing wrong with it. And as a matter of fact, 
I think the fact that somebody like Jim, and I know I'm talking about you like you're not here, that you would have to practically be in poverty so that the public can digest your elegant discovery is absurd. The fact is that more people need to know about this, more people who are desperately interested in, who can't afford most of the medical care in the world. What did you say in one of the videos that the people that get typical treatments in Ghana, 34% of their income is taken to try to treat them? I can't even imagine here when somebody really gets sick in the United States with the cost of medical care here. It's insane. And most of the health policies don't cover people. They only cover a small percentage of what people have. So it is an imperative that people become sovereign and take accountability for their health care. It's not really like a choice. It's a mandate. Yeah, we don't really have health care anymore, at least not, not what I would call that. It's not completely irrelevant in terms of the detractors, they are doing damage to people. Uh, a former friend, and the reason why they're a former friend is because I pointed out to him, hey, why don't you check out about this MMS a little bit? They ran into some of the detractors' misinformation out there and got this crazy notion that I was trying to kill them because of the information that they ran into. So there are plenty of people out there who run into first the detractors' misinformation, get scared, and then run away from it and never take the time to really explore beyond the surface of what these detractors well, I, are putting out. I will tell you that a lot of the misinformation that's put on Google and the other search engines are really powerful. Sure. People tend to believe stuff that's written before they've had the real exploratory due diligence that's necessary to sort what's mm -hmm. there. Well, a lot of that comes from the fact that I think we are all in information overload. And I'm a techie. I love technology. I mean, I grew up with technology. I became usually the, the leading person when it came to computers and taking them apart and fixing them and all of that kind of stuff. And so I love what's possible out there, but I now see the dangers that this technology is also putting in place. And I also see the social side of things where people are just bombarded with information to such a degree that they see a headline and they have to make a choice on that. And uh, as much as I love Wikipedia, Wikipedia has a lot of good information. However, oh, it is a, loaded <laughs> with misinformation. Totally. And Wikipedia, I could put something up and in five minutes somebody could totally change the entire thing. What's the point of that? Well, it's been damaged because of the fact that there are people that have a particular bent on something where they're probably being paid to go ahead and put misinformation out. And especially about MMS, it is loaded with it. And it's interesting today, Mike Adams, the health ranger from naturalnews.com, came out with a story specifically about Wikipedia and how much inaccurate information is in there. And that there was a judge that, I read it very quickly, so I may be saying something wrong, but he basically threw out some information because of that situation where someone was using Wikipedia as a source of their research. So it really is a problem. The bottom line, though, on this is that the process that is used to discern whether something is good or bad or real or not is very indicative of whether you're going to ever get the truth. How Wikipedia works actually is part of the problem. Nothing is vetted. Nothing. Well, it's vetted by everybody. That's yeah, well, the thing. no, but it's not. It's just people's opinions. That's not real vetting. Opinions mm -hmm. are not vetting. I can tell you, if you want to look up anything on Wikipedia on climate change, you will never get access to the 35 segments I've done 
on climate change. You will not get access to any of that information at all. I spent two years on this, okay? And every time anything is put that's different than the mainstream agenda on climate change, it is erased immediately. Well, we so, can say that that's the same thing here with, with MMS, exactly yeah. the same situation. So, so obviously there's a broad-scale agenda in every field, by the way, in every field. But anyway, not so much more on Wikipedia. Can we talk about the names of the books, Jim, that you've written? And tell us the number of languages. I understand there's 11 languages to your books. I wanted to add one more thing go on ahead. the previous topic, and if we can chew that in before we get into the book, so then... No, go ahead. Okay. I want to point out to somebody who's listening to this program but does not know what to believe because when they go out there and they start seeing all these research reports of this, that, and the other thing, I encourage you to look for testimonials. Now, I know there are the detractors who say, oh, testimonials, they're baloney, blah, blah, blah. But when you look at the statistics of hearing the same thing said by lots and lots and lots of people, you start having to go ahead and look at the volume from a statistical point of view and realize there may be something there. Now, MMS is a very powerful substance. Yes, it is not as powerful as oxygen in terms of oxidization, but it's like anything. If you overdo something, it's like if you take a bottle of aspirin and take every single aspirin in that bottle, you're not going to have a very good day. It'll and kill you. Exactly, and the same thing with many, many medicines. There are a few things you could get away with by emptying a bottle into you and you'll be fine. But MMS is one that you have to be careful and you have to understand. So you do your research, you learn all about it, and that's what Jim's books are very good for. They get you started and then you continue from there. Now now that he said that, okay. I would like to say Please. that MMS has never caused a death ever on this planet anywhere. The few that they claim has been disproven. So there's no single piece of paper anywhere signed by a doctor saying the death was caused by MMS. It just never has happened. It's a lot safer to take than aspirin, so it can't be too bad. I want to go back to something, Daniel, that you said, and I want to refine it a little bit. When you were talking about the testimonials, really looking at the testimonials, you talked about there's something to the volume of those. And I agree with you in principle. However, volume and popularity doesn't always equal truth. For example, the Third Reich. I know it's a very extreme example, but an entire nation felt that the Jews should be eradicated. A lot of propaganda and popularity, but it was totally horrible. So volume doesn't necessarily mean accuracy. However, I get the essence of what you said. The thing is that people have to listen internally and use their own barometer inside. There's only going to be a certain number of people on the planet that are awake enough and conscious enough and clear enough and present enough to do the proper due diligence. You want those people. You don't need the other people who don't care and aren't awake and aren't interested and are so programmable that you have to get in a tete-a-tete with them. Leave them. Let them die. Let them go. Let them have their mind-controlled programming run out. But for the rest of us, we're interested. Right. We're grateful. We're honored. We're impressed. We love you. And we appreciate you, and we get it. And there's way more than hundreds and millions. Maybe a billion people could get it. That's fine. Rock and you know, roll. <laughs> you know what MMS is? My own personal definition, this is one I came up with fairly recently, is 
MMS is the largest grassroots medical research project in history, when you really get down to it. And it's sad that we have to do this research on a grassroots level. This is something where all these universities and research centers should actually be doing honest-to-goodness work here, but they're not in many, many cases, unfortunately. None of them are, really. Look, and that's because of the peer review process, and that is the dragon guarding the gate of all discovery. All the processes and protocols at the universities, these protocols are there, these processes are there for a reason. They are to guard the gate and kill anything, any major discoveries in any field. They are not there for discovery. Maybe a lot of the people going there to do their studies are, but the policy at most universities is to kill and block real discovery that's going to alter industry, alter humanity, alter the planet, and better life for all around. That's the bottom line. They get their funding from governments. End story. It's better that this is grassroots. People that are waking up that are ready, there's hundreds and millions that are ready. That's who you want. I'm friends with the guy who developed the ABS brakes. And he himself had a difficult time with his discovery. He's made a lot of money with it, but more on a court case that he won at the end than the actual discovery itself. Isn't that a tragedy? Yes. Not new at all, unfortunately. It's more standard than new. Let's talk a little bit about the books, Jim. And I do want you to say something about your zero fusion and atomic alchemy. I'm very interested in that. And the technology that could clean up the world's atomic waste sites. Very interested in doing a plug for you about that. Talk about your books that are out and the languages that they're available in. Let's hear it. The first book was Miracle Mineral of the 21st Century. And then the second book was The Master Mineral Solution of the Third Millennium. The last book covers almost everything pretty well. There's been a few minor developments since it came out. And, of course, the second issue will include those as well. But for the most part, everything is in the second book. And it tells how to make it and how to do it and sell it. It tells everything associated that I could think of to go with it. So it's pretty much a complete book. I just would like to sell a few more. (laughs) And I think that someday it will sell. And I think that the world needs it. And so I think that eventually it's going to be out there. I started from the very beginning with the idea of going grassroots and keeping grassroots as long as I possibly could. The whole idea behind that was as long as there was grassroots, the money wouldn't be out there trying to stop it. The money now is trying to stop it, but it went for a number of years where nobody was trying to stop it. And it did quite well throughout the world in that way because it was grassroots and the governments weren't aware of it. I named it Miracle Mineral because I figured all of those really big, smart, educated university types would think it was snake oil because Miracle is not something anybody really pays much attention to except somebody who wants to get well. (laughs) And so it worked out really well. (laughs) That's fantastic. So what's next for the next six months for you both? I think there's some things that are in the works that probably should not be released at this point. (laughs) I hear you. Um, Well, so for those people that are interested in finding out more about MMS, chlorine dioxide, Jim Humble, they can go to jimhumble.org, correct? Right. That's right. .org and a .com. I think they both. Yeah. 
And there's also a wiki, the MMSWiki.org, which is a great spot. And it is not as open as Wikipedia so that it isn't run over by misinformation. That is, of course, bent on the side of the pro-MMS side, but that's okay. It's, it's a place where you can get the information that is put together by those who work with Jim. And it also gives you access to all the links to the various other websites, the protocols and whatnot. Fantastic. Well, I want to first say to Jim Humble, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. And all the children and families and lives that you have helped and saved, on behalf of them and the hundreds and millions and possibly billions that will be saved into the future, thank you so, so much. I love you. I appreciate you. We at It's Rainmaking Time are honored to have you with us. Well, sweetie, thank you so much for that. I did want to say something about my atomic research stuff. Yes. Myself and a friend got to working on lots of experiments having to do with mining, and it just worked in a direction. And we finally found ourselves using radiation in our tests, and we found that over a period of time, the thing that really amazed us was that when we burned our material that had radiation in it, when we burned it with a certain formula of gunpowder, the correct formula of gunpowder, along with uh, additional minerals added to it, the radiation would drop to zero. Usually the radiation dropped 80% in the first five minutes of the burn, and then the last 20% would drop to zero in the next three days. So we could make atomic radiation drop to zero. We did hundreds of tests over a period of years, and we demonstrated it to Texas A&M University, and they came to our laboratory several times, and we demonstrated that when you cause the radiation to drop to zero, and you have some precious metals in there, it can increase the amount of precious metals that you have. So they brought their own testing stuff and their own precious metals and their own everything. They did the burn right there, and I had them do everything so they wouldn't believe that I was adding things to it that I shouldn't be adding, and I stood back far enough that I couldn't add anything, and they did the whole thing, and they burned it, then they took it over town for an assay by a laboratory that was over town, and they were sure that the laboratory was in cahoots with us because they were sure that it couldn't happen. But they came to our lab four or five times total, and then we, over a period of the next year or so, we demonstrated it to university professors, mostly from all over the world, each test cost us quite a bit, a couple of hundred bucks to do a test for these guys, and we were testing, but they would go away saying that we were fooling them, <laughs> and nobody would believe it, and there were several that believed it, and there were several at Texas A&M that believe it, but the point is they weren't willing to go against the rest of the universities in the world. Even if a Geiger counter showed them the opposite of what they thought. That's right. We always used a Geiger counter, and they used their own Geiger counter, of course. But the point was that even though they believed it, they weren't willing to go against the rest of the... Uh, the paradigm. Uh, yeah. 
That's university life. <laughs> well, that's right. That's right. Their money is paid by people who believes that it can't be done. And a lot of people were convinced that it could be done. But the point is that there's billions of dollars invested in putting that stuff down in the ground. There's too many people against it to get anything done. And I put out a book telling how to do it, but I didn't tell anybody they're going to get rich or anything from doing it because you can't get your hands on. I went to several companies that were willing to try it, make a business out of it, large companies, and they were unable. There's a lot of radioactive material along the Gulf Coast because they clean the oil pipes out. And the inside of the oil pipes are coated with a a low-level radioactive material, but it's high enough that the government says it's dangerous. It really ain't that dangerous. But anyhow, the government says it's dangerous, and they won't let you keep it, and they won't let you get rid of it. So there's always a problem with the government on that stuff, but they won't sell it. They won't let you sell it. They won't let you take it away. So these companies that wanted to get it and burn it, and get the precious metals that was left behind, they couldn't do it. They couldn't make a business out of it because they couldn't get their hands on any radioactive material. So, But you can bet the government will use that as an income-producing revenue. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, maybe the government... So I'm sure it's already sequestered. <laughs> the government is already spending billions of dollars putting it down in the ground, and that means hundreds of people are being paid off. And those hundreds of people ain't about to allow my technique to take over and kill their profit. The nice thing about solutions and discoveries is that they always get to who needs them. They have their own time, like a baby being born or like a project being developed. In other words, it's out there. It will have its way, no matter what, somewhere with some of us. Well, that's the reason why I made it into a book. I was hoping that these people that were interested would put the book in their closet. And maybe 10 years or 20 years or 100 years from now, they'd get the book out and say, hey, maybe we ought to check this out. Anyway, that was the basic idea. Well, Daniel, I would really like to thank you for being the independent thinker that you are and journalist and researcher and a lover of truth and somebody who puts his body and focus where the action is. We need more people like you on the earth. And thank you so much for being with us on the show. Well, it's my pleasure. And of course, thank you for allowing us to have this conversation and sharing it with your audience People have to realize that it's one thing to hear about this information. It's a whole other thing to take it to the next level. So I encourage everyone in the audience to check into this. Look at that video, especially from the Red Cross. Comment on it and share it. Let your family and friends know. You know, a lot of people out there have Facebook accounts and Twitter and whatnot. Get the word out there and let this become something that wakes people up to realize what the truth is and what's going on. I just wanted to just say thanks to Daniel, too. Uh, he's done a hell of a job, and he's done a really, really big thing for mankind. Thank you, Jim. That's <laughs> profound. That's profound. Gentlemen, I'd like to know if you would let me direct you in saying it's rainmaking time with me. <laughs> so we're going to start with Jim. Jim, it's rainmaking time. It's rainmaking time. And together, it's rainmaking time. It's It's rain-making time. And now the three of us. You need one of those rain sticks. Are you familiar with those? Yes, I have one right with me. Do you think I would talk to both of you without a rain stick? (laughs) 
Are you ready? Okay. One, two, three. It's It's rain-making time. time. (laughs) I love you. Uh, Thank you so much, gentlemen.